0: This is the Christian Life Center podcast. Here at CLC, we are messengers of hope, where we believe in taking God's message of hope everywhere we go to everyone we meet. From wherever you are, be encouraged by this week's message. Over the last few weeks, we've been talking about this journey to the stable. You see, the stable was a part of God's plan. The manger was a part of the plan of God. Mary receives this promise. We talked about it a few weeks ago. She was positioned, she was in a place that her heart was ready to receive the promise of God. Now, what is the promise of God? It's what you've been praying for. What is the promise of God? It's the blessings of God in your life. It's that what you're hoping for, you got your faith on, that what you're desiring, you're praying, that God, you would do this in my life. That's the promise of God. That which God shows up when you're not even expecting it. Like in the case of Mary, he shows up and he says, I want to bless you. I have a promise for you. We said that the promises of God are always connected to the purposes of God. When you get a promise, a vision or a dream, when God begins to put into your heart those those desires that you have, it's always connected to the purposes of God. Now, to get to the promise, there's always a process. We don't just have these dreams and visions and hopes and desires today, and then tomorrow they come to pass. In fact, that's the problem now, is many times we give up too soon. We don't go through a process that gets us to the promise. Here, God is showing us that he's working in the process that our promises are a apart they're connected to it and in the process God is working the difficulties that you're going through the struggles that you're having the things that we're experiencing in the process the enemy's trying to stop it our minds are fighting against it why because we haven't seen it come to pass yet we received it And now there's a journey to it. Very seldom are we gonna see it happen right away. There is a process, and in the process, God is working. What God is doing in the process is most of all, he's teaching me and you how to trust him, trusting God in the journey. Now, how do I learn to trust God in the journey? My mind begins to wander right away and say, God, how can I trust you? I wanna get to the promise, and there is a process, so how do I trust you? Well, we looked at the very first thing of learning to trust God is that I learn to trust him and it forces me to attack my fears, to overcome my fears, to see whatever obstacles are there and see that God, my eyes are on you. I don't know what to do. I don't know why this is happening, God. I, I, I don't even like it but God, my eyes are on you. Can I just hear an amen? Uh, if you're with me at home, just uh, you know, just uh, say amen in the chat box because in those moments, I learn to trust God. Now my natural tendency, maybe yours as well, is when fear begins to grip me, I wanna pull back. Being an introvert, I wanna pull back. I wanna, I wanna get into my own shell. I wanna protect myself obstacles that are there, things that are, that are coming at me, begins to make me question the promise. But what God is doing is in that, he's strengthening my faith. I'm trusting him. In that journey, what journey? Well, a journey of obedience. When I learn to obey when I don't even see, when I learn to obey what I don't understand, when I learn to obey with my own fears and struggles and doubts, when I'm learning to obey... I'm trusting God. So it's a walk of obedience. I've got to tell you, the hardest part of your Christian walk and journey is the walk of obedience. We know what to do. We've heard the word preached over and over and over and over again. It's the walk of obedience. But if I will walk that walk and I will remain steadfast, I will remain faithful and I'll continue to serve the Lord, I'll keep the disciplines of the faith, I'll continue to abide in Christ, I'll continue to pursue Him and seek Him and trust Him in that God will bring me to my promise. So here Mary is, Mary says yes to God. I mean, think about it, she, God needed her womb. She needed to offer herself to God so that the Messiah could come into the world. The incarnation of Christ needed Mary. For God to do his work in and through your life, he needs your yes, just like Mary offered her yes. But even after her yes was a journey and that journey at the end required a stable. Fears, I'm sure she had them. Obstacles, absolutely. But she said yes to God. When I say yes to God, there's going to be fear. There's going to be obstacles. There's going to be so many things that will test my obedience and my steadfastness. But my yes to God makes room for the promise at the very end. I mean, we have to be honest. Let's, let's just pause for a moment and say, how could this be a stable For the birth of a king, the Messiah, the son of God, was going to be born in a stable. The birthing of the promise came in the stable, the fulfillment of God's word and what God wants to do. And yet God was going to reveal his glory. The manifestation of God was going to be revealed. Picture this for me. Picture with me for a moment. Here is Jesus and he's going to be born in a smelly stable. Now, let's be honest, most of us wouldn't even spend the night in a stable. We probably wouldn't even wanna stay there. Can you imagine your your husband is taking you or your spouse or good friends are taking you on on a trip and you say, where are we staying? Well, we're gonna stay in the local barn in the city there. We wouldn't do it, right? And here he is, he's born in a smelly stable. This is where animals, we know, would have been kept. And, 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 and in this moment, we see the humility of Christ. He was neglected and, 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 and they were neglected and turned away and, and they were not given any room in the inn. And yet this was God's plan. He was born in poverty. If Joseph would have had enough money, he would have bought a room, he would have had the room, he would have bought the house but they didn't have enough money. He was born in poverty. Here we see that he was born in obscurity and loneliness. The birth of Christ, as it takes place for you and I, we see that they were all alone. In fact, the scripture said that we just heard the children read that Mary herself wraps baby Jesus up in the swaddling clothes and lays him in the manger. The manger in Israel, if you ever go with us, you'll see that it it wouldn't have been a wooden uh, feeding trough like we often see. It actually probably would have been made out of concrete. That's, the uh, you know, Israel's just filled with stone, very little wood there. He would have been laid right there, born in obscurity, born in loneliness, the humiliation that was there. He didn't enter the world like many would, in a hospital, a comfortable place. No, this is how Jesus came. We have to say why. And the only thing I can really say is maybe it was God's way of helping all of us know that we could come to Jesus. That Jesus was someone that would be available and approachable to everyone. The stable was no place to spend a night, no place to have birth, no place for the Messiah. Imagine that feeling of loneliness. Imagine the rejection Mary must have had. Those of you ladies that have given birth, can you imagine the rejection? You're in those final moments. Remember that time? Remember those final moments? And, and here Mary and Joseph is rejected. Now, we've all been rejected. We all deal with rejection. In fact, we struggle with it. Do you know that rejection actually is a spirit? It's a spirit of the enemy to attack the very foundation of our faith and the identity of who we are, especially on our journey, our walk of obedience to God and and the promise of God. And the ultimate promise for all of us is a promise of spending eternity with God. And yet there's rejection that's there. It's a spirit. We have to fight it. We have to recognize it. It's a spirit that's there to steal the promise. It's sitting at the door of the promise. That's right. Right there before God's purpose and God's plan gets birthed into your life, what you've been praying for and hoping for and dreaming about all year long. Rejection is at that door. But if we can see that God is with us, then God will help us in that journey, in the walk of obedience, in our faith, in our trust, to help us to overcome. What does rejection mean? Is something is refused, it's thrown away, it has no value. Now this year has felt a lot like that, a year of rejection. But yet we guard our heart as believers against the spirit of rejection. There's four major areas, by the way, that rejection attacks us. The first major way is that we begin to question, this is where the enemy's really battling, we begin to question who God is, the deity of God, the message of salvation, the truth of what we hear about and and we read about in the word of God. And, And the first way that the enemy especially tries to attack us when it comes to the promises of God in our life is that we begin to reject God himself, we begin to think, I don't need you, I, I can do it on my own, and, and maybe we don't say it, but the way we live our life shows it. For many of us, we say one thing and we do another, and what we do is what we really, really, really believe. And so the first area is we reject God, we do our own thing, we go our own way, we rebel, the Bible says. And by rejecting God, it breaks off the promise of salvation. It breaks off the promise of God's peace and plans and purposes. And it breaks off eternity with God the Father. That's why you gotta make room. Our theme this year, make room, you gotta make room for the Lord in your heart. Another way that rejection we have to guard is when we, and this is probably how a lot of us feel, when we're being when we're being rejected, when we're afraid that someone is going to reject us, that, that we're going to be pushed away. Small children often face this kind of rejection growing up, and it's this fear that you are not accepted, that your posts are not liked, you have not many friends on your followings, and there's a sense of feeling rejected. It's this, it's this deep, deep fear of being hurt, and so what we do is we guard ourselves, we, we protect ourselves from that, and, 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 and because there's a fear of being hurt, we are, we're gonna put a, 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 a wall around ourselves so that we won't feel it. Which then really leads into a, a third area of rejecting is that we actually begin to reject ourselves by the identity that we have, the thoughts that we have, and, and, and the ways that we think about ourselves, what we see in the mirror, that we begin to reject ourselves. Which leads to us wearing masks and, and, and we begin to try to project something that we're not and, and to show something that we're not. And these masks are a false image so that people w- that we're showing, we begin wanting them to believe something that really what we're not and then we have to keep wearing that mask and we have to get better masks and bigger masks, so to speak. And, and we're constantly living like that and we're not really transparent. Which then leads really to a fourth area is that many times it'll cause us to reject others. So that we don't get rejected, we take control and we actually reject others. Especially if they do something we don't like, they say something that offends us, if, if something happens that offends us, we reject. It could be a person, it could be an organization, it could be the church, and ultimately it ends up being God. So we don't walk the road of forgiveness. Well, these are things that are there guarding the door to our promise. Mary and Joseph, they definitely experienced this. And so many, as Pastor Nadine even mentioned earlier, they missed the coming of Christ. The innkeeper was so wrapped up in his own world. Those that were around, no room in the inn. Herod and other, they they missed what God had for them. And if we don't make room For the Messiah, if we don't make room for Jesus, we will miss Him as well. Let's picture the scene: of Mary and Joseph, they're traveling to Bethlehem. It's in this part of Scripture that we see that circumstances to fulfill prophecy leads Mary and Joseph to require, because of Caesar's requirement for uh, a census to take place. You had to travel back to your birthplace of the, of the father, the male, of the, of the family, the husband. And so here, Joseph being born in Bethlehem is taking Mary now who is in her ninth month of pregnancy and they're beginning to make this journey they're making it to Bethlehem. If you've been to Israel, you know there's, there's mountain ranges. It's very rocky. Uh, it would have been narrow, stony paths. And he loads her up, probably on that, that donkey, and, and they begin to make their journey about 70 miles, of course, by foot, donkey. They're on their way through the mountain rocky roads on their way to Bethlehem. Imagine as you're nearing Bethlehem, you begin to see the crowds that's beginning to uh, form and you see the, the numbers of people that are there as everybody is required to come back to take part in this census. And as they're nearing, they're looking, and now they begin to see that there's large numbers. There's no internet. We know that. There's no way to make prior reservations. And so now you're arriving, trying to find a place to stay. Scripture helps us to see that where they were looking, there was no place. In that day, there might have been uh, uh, hotels or inns that were just for boarding of guests and visitors, but more than likely, what it was, was that there was a a room or a couple rooms in someone's house, kind of like maybe an Airbnb, and you would be looking for a place to stay, and there was no room. And obviously the scripture's showing us that they get to the very last and it's helping us to understand that there was no place to stay. But in the compound of an owner's home, there would be a place that they would put their animals. Many times it would be somehow within the house, but separated. So not really like what we would think of as here's your house, a farmhouse, and here's the barn, it's a separate barn. It probably would have been a part of the house, but a separated part. Sometimes it would be down in a lower part where the animals would be isolated and then the room or rooms, uh, two or three rooms, if you go to Israel, you'll take a tour with us. So there are only three or four rooms in a whole house, but there, there's where they would have slept. And so the innkeeper or maybe somebody else offers them a place in the stable where the animals would be kept. And here we see the story beginning to unfold. I mean, you would never imagine a donkey being born in a palace, especially in the king's room. And yet the Messiah, the king, the son of God is going to be born in a stable. But God allowed that to happen. And it was because, as I said earlier, he wants all of us to know that we are welcome, that we can approach and we can come to the Lord because the only way we get to God the Father, the scripture is very clear, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. The only way to God was through Jesus. And so everybody, everybody feels accepted. Everybody feels welcome. And there was room There was room that was being made for all of us in our hearts. Now the Bible's clear that the way we get to God is we make room in our hearts for him. In fact, Jesus was talking to Nicodemus, and Nicodemus was a high-ruling official. It was kind of like he was of the, the, the political, governmental, and at that time it would be also the religious ruling party, but mostly the political party. And Jesus was talking one night when Nicodemus came to him. In John 3, Nicodemus begins to ask how he could spend eternity with God the Father. And Jesus declared, in fact, I want to read it to you. John 3, 3, Jesus said, I tell you the truth. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. Now, Nicodemus is a little confused. How can a man be born when he is old? And Jesus is going to answer that because Nicodemus says, surely he cannot enter back into a second time his mother's womb and be born. Obviously, that's not possible. And Jesus says, I tell you, I'm telling you the truth that no one will see or enter. If you're a note taker, might be something that you'll want to mark down. You won't see or enter the kingdom of God unless you are born of water and the spirit. So here we see that there's an imperative, that it's an absolute necessity that if you're going to see the kingdom of God, you've got to be born again. Now that born again, that word again really carries two or three different ideas, but it gives us the comprehensive understanding of what God was saying is that there is a complete and full rebirth, a change change, not physically, but spiritually, that, that there is a sense that we're not being born a, 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 again as a, a, as a newborn, but now there's a second birth. It's a spiritual birth. It's a total transformation that takes place, and it takes place from above. It's something that God does in us. As we receive, we make room for the gift in our heart. But his words are so clear that we cannot miss it as we cannot see the kingdom of God unless we are born again. So the challenge for every one of us, especially at this time of year, is have we made room? Have we invited him to come into our heart? Have we made space for Jesus in our life? I love Revelation chapter three, verse 20 where it gives us the the picture that Jesus says, behold, I stand at the door and I knock. The door is the door to my heart. Jesus says, I'm knocking. I remember that day that the Lord was knocking at my door. Man, I could feel it. I feel it again just talking about it. It was this overwhelming sense of of emotion. It was almost like goosebumps were rising up. I mean, you sensed something was happening. And what was happening is through the Spirit, God was knocking on the door of my heart. Now, Maybe like you, I grew up in the church. I had heard it. I knew about it. My parents had served the Lord. They had had an experience with God see just because your parents or my parents had had an experience with God just because your parents might have been pastors or or deacons or elders or board members or maybe they were very faithful in the church there comes a day that every one of us will come to that place where we feel and we sense that God is knocking at the door of your hearts because your parents faith won't save you your pastor's faith won't save you it's your faith Saves you. And so Jesus says there, I stand at the door and I knock. It's the door of my heart. And it's often been said, there's no handle on the outside. The handle's only on the inside. I've got to open the door. And Jesus says, anyone, if you're sitting with somebody right now, I want you to turn to them and say, that means you, anyone, anyone who what? Hears my voice. For me, it wasn't an audible voice. It was a spiritual voice. It was that sense, that that assurance. I knew, I knew that I knew that I knew. Just as I know my own thoughts, I knew that that was not my thought, but I knew that I could sense God speaking to me. Anyone that hears my voice and opens the door I will, Jesus said, come into him, and I will have fellowship. I will dine. I will be with you when I make room for the Savior in my heart. Our theme of the program is make room. And I pray that you're making room for the Lord in your life. But a story that I heard, a young boy by the name of Darren. Darren was a seventh grader. And he was bigger than the other students, especially in the Sunday school, in the church children's program. His mother had been an alcoholic when uh, when when Darren was born, and as a result. Darren had a little bit of uh, mental challenges and mental capacities weren't quite there. and, and, uh, And he was, as I said, much bigger than others in the class. Somehow he managed to get by, but it was obviously something that stood out. Well, Christmas came and the church program, especially the children's program like this today, decided that they were going to put on a Christmas program. Since Darren was the largest in the class, he was selected to be the inn's keeper. After all, the innkeeper really is the villain of the Christmas program and the Christmas drama. So they coach Darren on just what to say, but they especially stress that Darren was to be as mean as he possibly could be. Well, the night came and the day came for the Christmas program and play. And as Mary and Joseph came in to Bethlehem and they came to the inn and they knocked on the door, Darren opens the door, what do you want? I don't know if I'm mean, but as mean as he could be, right? And gruff as possibly he could be. And he said, uh, uh, as Joseph asked, we need a room. We need a place to stay tonight. And Darren, as mean as he could and as gruff and rough as he could, there's no room in the inn. And Joseph said, but my wife, she's pregnant. She's expecting any day, any time now. Isn't there somewhere that we can stay? And Darren again says, there's no room. And Joseph was pleading, please, there's somewhere, somewhere that you could put me. And then for a moment, there was silence. Darren forgot his lines. Now, if you've ever been in a program and forgot your lines, that is pretty embarrassing. But he forgot his lines. So behind the curtain, someone said, Be gone. Be gone. And finally Darren managed to say, Be gone. And Mary and Joseph started to turn and sadly began to leave. And as they did, all of a sudden Darren stopped and he paused and he said, Wait a minute wait a minute. You can have my room. You can have my room. Now, maybe Darren (laughs) really communicates what the real spirit of Christmas is all about. You can have my room. See, we have to make room. We have to make room. This journey to the birthing of Christ, I have to ask myself, would I have given up my room? If I was in Bethlehem and I had a room for the night, would I have given up my room? I hope the answer is yes. I don't know, but I hope it would have been. Ultimately, what God desires is that we make room for him in our lives. That we open up and we make room. See, Jesus didn't come to live in a stable. No, he desires to live in our life. His presence with us. Emmanuel, God with us. See, God's greatest desire is to be with you. As we come through this year, God's been with you as we've taken a journey to the promises of God, they may not be birthed yet and they may not have come to pass yet, but God's presence is with you when you make room in your heart for him. I ask you today to open your heart. Jesus said he came. Jesus said, I came for one reason. And that was to seek and to save those who were spiritually lost, those that were separated from God. I came so that you could have peace with God. But to have peace with God, we've got to allow him. We've got to make room for him in our hearts. Over and over, the writers of scripture would challenge us that when we hear his voice, don't harden your heart, but make room for him.